Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent, where we explore different areas of the construction industry to shed light on what life is like in companies across the field to help you build your career to your own specification. This episode of the Construction Career Podcast is brought to you by Wilson and Hampton Painting Contractors. Wilson and Hampton has been the premier painting contractor in Southern California since 1923. From concurrent projects at LAX and the historical restoration of the Salk Institute to decorative painting and gold leafing in LDS temples around the world. Whether working in the field or in-house refinishing shop, Wilson and Hampton can provide you with the quality and experience needed to make your next project a success. Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent. Today we have as a guest, Andrew Rafi from McCarthy Building Companies. McCarthy Building Companies. We appreciate having you on. Glad you'd come out and join us. Thank you. So Thank uh, you for having me. Hey, you're welcome. We love, you know, we love having people on. And we <laughs> haven't had anybody from McCarthy yet, and I've been really trying to antsy to get somebody on because we want to represent as many different companies as we can. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Andrew, how old are you? I'm, I just turned 50. Happy birthday. Thank you. Or related, I guess I should say. You've been with McCarthy for how long? Almost 17 years. Well, we'll get into that. We were talking at dinner, and you had kind of an interesting life story. So we'd like to touch a little bit on that. Where is it you were born? I was born in Tehran, Iran. And you lived there for how long? I lived there momentarily after I was born, and then we moved to Africa. Lived in Nairobi, Kenya for about four or five years, and then we went back to Iran, and then we moved to Europe. So I lived in Switzerland, and then Greece, and then I finally came here when I was 16, 17, okay. which was like around 1985. And then we, we came to California and lived in Upland. Upland. And I, I finished high school at Upland High School. Greece to Upland, that's a bit of a culture shock. What do you remember about Kenya? Not much. I mean, I was I was young. I mean, we left there when I was five. But I mean, there's still pictures of us, you know, when of our house in Nairobi. And we visited a lot of the national parks. So there's a lot of pictures of us with what represents Africa, which is the animals. Wild animals. Wild animals. My mom tells me stories about we were in a park in Tanzania, and back then I guess we could just drive our cars. So my dad was driving, and he must have made an elephant upset, and they charged the car, and we had to all run in the car and run away from the elephant. So it's kind of cool. So you went back to Tehran? Yes. At five or six? Yes. What do you remember about Tehran? I, I have nothing but really amazing memories of being there. I mean, I remember things like the food and how it tasted and, you know, my family and where we lived. And it was kind of a happy time for us. We were, again, we were very young, so right. we, we were not aware of the political climate at the time. It was just, you know, living in a place that we thought was our home. I mean, my mom was Iranian. My dad was Iranian. So it was it was just home to us. But. You know, the people, the Iranian people are really sweet. We we were middle class at the time, so we weren't seeing some of the things that the most of the population was complaining about at the time, about poverty and lack of education and, and lack of religious freedom and all the stuff that ended up, you know, turning into the Iranian revolution. Right. But to us, it was just a really cool place to live with great food and just we had a lot of family at the time and my cousins were there so we we hung out a lot together we we did things together we went skiing in the on, in the winter and we went up to the Caspian Sea in the summer and that's kind of our lives when, you, when you're like when you're like seven eight years old that culture is very family oriented isn't it with yes, it like is. extended family yes it is do you still have family there 
No, they all left with us. Have you been back to Iran? I have not. My sister and mom went back, but I haven't I haven't had the the opportunity to go back. Well, from Iran you went to Austria, you said or Switzerland. Switzerland. And what were your memories of Switzerland? It was cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can say probably bit of a change from G- Geneva's very cold. <laughs> and that's why they went to Greece right after Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was it was it was just cold. We were there for such a short period of time, so it wasn't. I don't really, I really have a lot of memories about it. I remember it was very cold, but I have a lot of memories from Greece. You know, we we did a lot of traveling within the country. Went to a lot of different islands. Spend a tremendous amount of time traveling throughout the entire country from different villages, different cities, different islands. Like I said, it was probably the best time of my life as you know, being have having the opportunity. To be a teenager and and live in that country my parents were really really open about letting us do things on our own so we were we were allowed to travel on our own I, I went on a lot of school trips to different islands just with just with other kids without my without just without my family so there was a lot of freedom there too right. well comically as we were talking about at dinner time your school experience in in Athens was pretty intense right <laughs> yeah there it's different it was different than here about how we were punished there was there was corporal punishment so it was it was a little bit different than how things are today you still had great experiences i did really I enjoyed did. your time in Greece. i did i mean i got my homework done that's for sure having lived in all those different places is there some thing that you say Having lived in those places has has shaped my world perspective or my perspective on life. Yes, absolutely. It 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 broadens your mind. You get to look at things in a whole different perspective. How people live in different countries, uh, cultures are different. People's mindsets are different. How they think is different. And you have the ability once you've been able to to experience that. It it just makes. It just makes me, to me, it just makes you a more well-rounded person. I, I would totally agree. You know, I grew up in a small town in Nevada. When I was 19, I served a Mormon mission in Ecuador for two years. Went down, lived there, didn't speak a lick of Spanish about the time I got off the plane and had to learn the language. And you're really just kind of left on your own. You know, you got this companion that you're stuck with, and it's like, hey, go do these good things and, and be a good person. And uh, it totally changed my look on life. You know, my the idea of traveling to me anymore, it's, I want to go see what the locals do. I want to go through and have this different style, like this American experience as I go through this other country. No, I want to see what it's like for the locals. You know, it has been a great experience. I can get to travel a lot for the company I work for now, but uh, it does. It broadens your horizons. Speaking a different language just opens up a lot of what you're not you're not able to experience. I think when you just speak one language. You know, at the time when we lived in Greece, you know, once you started speaking their language and having and communicating with them on their level it was you you just experience the country a lot differently than you would if you were there for a couple of weeks as a tourist yeah well and, and it's so interesting that you know with these differences in languages you start to learn it like it comes kind of naturally mm-hmm. like things will just make sense to you that shouldn't make sense to you because you're just learning this language and absolutely they, they don't have to say as many words to get the same point across or they may say 10 times the word to get the point across but it means more so that's I've, I've always thought that's a great experience, and I hope everybody gets the chance to travel and, and to experience something similar. So from there, you moved to Upland, which was very exotic, I'm guessing. At the Absolutely. Time. Vacation the capital of the 909. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> how did you? How did the transition affect you? You know, it there was there was a little bit of a culture shock, but having the experience of traveling and going from one new place to another, you know, you get used to it. You know, we we kind of, you know, joke about moving to Upland, but moving to Upland was just another change for us. And, you know, the first week or two when you go to, you know, a new high school is you're the new kid and, you know, you kind of have your pains there. But after a while, because of the your past experience for, you know, going to different schools so many times and making new friends, you know, I just made new friends and and within within two or three months you're it's like a, it's it's like you've been there forever. It was it was great. I mean it was a, it was a great experience. Upland at the time was you know, it was a great school, a great community. It was fun, and um, I liked it. From Upland, I mean, did you do your whole high school career in Upland, or was it just yeah? I graduated. Okay, you graduated from Upland, and ended up at Long Beach. I ended up at Long Beach. I went to Long Beach State. I didn't start off at Long Beach State. I went to a, a junior college for a little bit. I wasn't really sure whether I wanted to go to college or not at the time when I was eighteen. It's a just a big decision that I wasn't ready to make. So um, I went to a junior college for a couple of years, kind of dabbling with, you know, taking classes or not taking classes and just kind of wasn't ready to make a commitment. And, and then once I was ready to make a commitment, I applied to Cal Poly Pomona and Cal State Long Beach, and I got accepted to both. But I liked Long Beach because it was closer to the beach, so I ended up going to Long Beach. What were the alternatives to going to school? At the time? For me, you know, my parents were really, they really pushed for college. You know, there wasn't, you know, my my mom was, my mom's attitude towards life was that their life would have basically ended if I had not gotten a college degree. The alternative um, was physical violence. <laughs> physical violence and, and the fact that their entire career as parents would have been a failure because, you know, their eldest son didn't go to college. So, you know, it, there, was a, there was a tremendous amount of pressure. For, for me to actually make a decision and go and end up end up going to school and going to college that's that's probably the reason why I kind of did it and stuck with it and finished it was because I just didn't want to let my parents down because that's it, their entire world was you know my sister and I making making us have an education and college was the only way to go at the time what was what were you what were the things that you were interested in doing other than going to college you know, that's a great question, and I and I, I, can't I hope I hope I I hope I can give you a great answer, but I can't. I was tremendously lazy. I did not have any direction whatsoever. My my interests had nothing to do with career or education. I was at the time. I just wanted to you know kind of have fun and hang out and and be lazy. And my opinion at the time was that you're only going to be 18 once. Act like an 18 year old. And to me, that was, you know, drink and party have a good time and party and enjoy life uh, to the fullest. Well, you know, so what you're saying is there's hope for a lot of college kids today. Yes. I don't, I mean, you know, got to hope my own kids don't hear this, but, you know, you just, it's, it's okay to, to be indecisive and, and your, you know what, your career will happen. You know, it doesn't have to happen at 22. If it happens at 24, I think you're still going to be okay. You know, take a couple of years and and enjoy it. Figure it out. But my parents did not allow me to enjoy it at home. So, you know, they they were like, okay, if you don't want to go to college, you need to be responsible for yourself. Go out and get a job 
and you can be 18 and party and do that kind of stuff but we are not flipping the bill for you you can pay rent you can pay your own rent and you don't might no they wouldn't let me live at home i had to move out my dad told me to move out and go do whatever you want to do you're an adult act like one and you're off the you're off my payroll my my parents said as long as you're in school you can stay home Mm -hmm. you're not in school get out so. Yeah, once I went to once I went to Long Beach, they 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 started paying the bills again. Awesome. So you ended up at Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Did you start into construction? No. How did how that all come about? It's a long story. So I got accepted with an aeronautical engineering major. Okay. So I started taking the courses that are related to that, and I hated it. It just, it, they, they were difficult. They required a lot of studying. And that was just not something that I wanted to do. So I changed majors pretty often. You know, I, I, I went from aeronautical engineering to mechanical engineering to biochemical engineering. I think we even dabbled a little bit in industrial engineering. You know, every one of them were hard. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I just didn't like it. So the dean of the School of Engineering at the time gave me an ultimatum that was, you need to pick a major and you need to get out. <laughs> God, just like your parents. He was, he was, he was an amazing man. And I, and I frankly asked him, what is the easiest engineering degree, degree that <laughs> I can get so I can get out of here? And he said civil, and that's what I did. I graduated with civil engineering. I hate to destroy all of the civil engineers' hopes. Please forgive me, but that was, but it, it was, it was, civil engineering is a lot easier than biochemical. Or aeronautical. Or aeronautical. Is it something that you enjoyed when you actually got into it? No. I, you know, I graduated with a civil degree, and after I graduated, while I was in school, I worked at a Hyperion treatment plant for the city of Los Angeles, Bureau of Sanitation, as an engineer, and I really didn't like working at a at a at a wastewater treatment plant i really didn't like designing outfalls and 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 tanks and and you know different different components of wastewater treatment it was a stinky job it was very stinky (laughs) so i quit so i was jobless so that wasn't even an internship you had a job i had a job i I actually got a job and 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 i was working in within the field that i that i had chosen it was was part it's part of the it's it's part of the civil field yeah environmental engineering i i just it wasn't for me and i was very i was disheartened because i was like I, i i got this degree that i that i spent all this time getting and now I don't have any clue what I'm going to do with it because if it's anything like what I've been doing, I just don't want to be an engineer. Right. Uh, it's just I can't sit in a cubicle with, with an HP calculator and, and, and a bunch of drawings and, and design stuff. I, I'm going to go crazy. So I quit. And I had no job. I was living with my girlfriend at the time. Now, had you graduated at this point? Yes. Okay. I was a college graduate living, with, living off of my girlfriend without a job. And my mom got me a job, just something to, so I can so I can earn a paycheck. And I worked for a very very small construction company that was owned by this Iranian guy at the time. And that was my first experience with construction. Did it light the fire, or did the bug bite you? Well, <laughs> this the, the, not, not so much. the gentleman the gentleman that I worked for was 
was unscrupulous to to <laughs> say the least. least. And um, you know, he he hired me as a project manager. I didn't even know what that meant, and put me as a project manager slash, slash superintendent on this ground up project for Rio Hondo College. Holy it was cow! A, for a yeah, on a hard bid job, and I had never even seen a construction site, and basically just told me what the job address was, and and I went up there and I met with the 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 college and the DSA IOR and I introduced myself and I said this is what I am and they're like okay well what do you want to do next I'm like I don't know what should I do next they're like well it'd be nice if we had a trailer <laughs> can, can you figure that out and he's and I'm like what's a trailer that's how it started and I, I it was this DSA IOR that was on that job God bless him he was he was an amazing man and he became my mentor and he actually taught me how to set up a job how to set up a trailer what is an rfi what's a submittal what am i supposed to do with shop drawings how to put my billing together i mean these i i had no help at all from for, from the guy that i worked for whatsoever when the when the tradesmen would show up he would tell me what to tell them to do like I would, I'm like, well, who needs to start this job? He's like, well, we need to start demoing the site and get it ready for the grader. I'm like, okay. Who's that guy? Who's, what's demoing? And, I, I mean, this is, right. this is how green I was. And then he, we, we, he slowly figured out what a shady person the guy that I was working for was and basically told me about 12 months into that job, he said, I'll never forget it. He goes, you need to resign now. The construction industry is a very, very small community, and your name means everything. And your name cannot be associated with this man or this project anymore. Give him your keys and get out of here and go do something else. And that's what I did. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. He was an amazing, amazing man. Scott Bedgood phenomenal guy we're still friends today well you know we talk one of the things we talk about consistently is uh, and i actually wrote this down i was going to say is this network that you develop and these relationships and here's this guy that really had maybe no reason to help you out no skin whatsoever you know but he took this on and he did it and it's it's affected your career it's affected your life and uh that's a big deal you know, you can find those guys out there. The other part of the network, I would say, was, you know, your mom got you the job. So you never can think that your network can only be so big. Because <laughs> Elton talked about that, too. I mean, he got a connection from his dad being a dentist. One of his one of his clients got him a job when he was first looking for work. What crossed my mind when he was telling that story is that when you don't know about things, they seem incredibly difficult. I remember I worked on a housing track in 1978, and there was... I don't know if it was a water line or something, and they were they were talking about, we're going to have to excavate this, we're going to have to move this, blah, blah, blah. And I was there by myself because the general contractor had died. So I was, like, finishing up the job, and I'm just like, I don't know how to do this. And one of my dad's friends, who was a GC, said, Cliff, it's no big deal. He said, they're going to come and dig. They're going to come and dig a trench. You're going to put some sand in the bottom of it, right? The, these guys are going to put the pipe in, and then... You're going to pour some concrete over the top of it. 
And he goes, I said, he goes, don't worry. He said, the guys running the truck, they'll help you. Just tell them, hey, I don't really know what to do here. They'll help you. You know, I got lucky it didn't have to do that fight. But, <laughs> but they will, in fact, help you. You know, if you're honest with them and you're, you know, willing to accept the help, people will help you all the time. More often than not, yeah. I would say. So going back to coming out of Long Beach, mm-hmm. do you think your education prepared you for a career in construction? Well, yes and no. The engineering program at Long Beach, especially the civil program, is an, was an excellent program. You know, I did learn how to be able to design different different structural elements, being timber or concrete or steel. And, you know, some of those things that I picked up in college, we still use today. You know, I mean, I, I can speak with the engineers and the consultants that I work with on a daily basis, and college and what my experience there helps me, even to this day, to be able to have those conversations and understand what they're doing. So, yes. I mean, it's somewhat, it does prepare you for, you know, being able to just, you know, have that conversation with the engineers. But I never, I didn't go through a construction management program like most of my colleagues have. And I didn't do an internship with a construction company or even an engineering company or or anything civil related. I worked full time at Hyperion, you know, for the last two, two, two and a half years of my college stint. So... For me, it was when I, when I got to a construction site, you know, it was like the deers in the headlight. Like, you know, I had no clue. I had no clue. And it, if it wasn't for Scott, I would have I, I would have completely and utterly failed. Now, did you pursue your stamp as an engineer? I did. It's interesting to talk to people because they have different take on, yeah, it's worth doing or it's not worth doing. And if it's something you don't want to talk about, we don't have to. No, it's okay. But, uh, you know, what is kind of your take on that for kids that, they, some kids get caught in their mind that that's what you have to do. And what would you say to them? I would say certifications are not a bad thing to have. It's never going to hurt you. It's never going to hurt you. It, the more you have, I think it makes the, the individual more sellable as an individual or even with the, as, part of the, as part of the company team. So I, I don't think certifications are a bad thing. For me, I tried. I tried to take the PE exam. And I just was not successful because the seismic was just just kicked my butt. I just couldn't get past, and I and I tr- and I took it a few times, but it just I just never was able to be successful at it. I tried to do it when I was older. I was out of school for a while. Honestly, I wasn't that great of a student to begin with, so it was it just never it never came. It, I just never was successful at it. But guys and gals that are out there, uh, if you have an opportunity. And, and it's still fresh in your mind, my advice is always go ahead and get it. That goes with all certification. The more you have, it's, it's, it's better to put that stuff on your resume. And it just, makes, it just makes you more well-rounded. It's a good thing. Well, that was something you know we were going to touch on, and you just did. There's a lot of different certifications out there, lead certifications, different ones you can get while you're in college. And they're not going to hurt you. Now, you know, are they going to affect your career if you don't get it? Who's to say? But it's never going to hurt you if you do. They might open a door. They could open a door. I think again. I'm not telling. I'm not telling the listeners out there to go ahead and and just pile on all these certifications. I think you have to be. I think you you need to be strategic as to what they are because you know time is valuable. 
and you don't want to you don't want to go out there and spin your wheel and, and waste your time find out what's going to be your expertise and get the certifications that are that are going to help that part of it that relevant, part of the expertise relevant, that's relevant to, expertise. to it absolutely moving back to your career you've now left this firm re- resigned as you say is that when you went to SMC yes and did you did you actually resign right then it was a friday I went and got my stuff out of the office that Saturday and left him a note that says, Here's my keys. See you later, alligator. <laughs> that, you know, another good point. It is a small world in construction. And it doesn't seem like it until you really get into it. But your reputation will follow you everywhere. Yes, it will. And that's something to remember. You know, what Jelani's big thing was just be honest. Yeah. Be honest. You know, you just always have to be honest. You know, I don't know if we're going to get into this later on in the in the podcast, but you know, you are going to bump into people from one job to the other. It's guaranteed. Yeah. You know, an owner rep is going to be working for a sub, or a general contractor that was is going to be working for a subcontractor, or a subcontractor could be an owner's rep. It, it it's very fluid as to where people end up. You just never know. And your reputation on how you act on that one job could affect your career. So keep that in mind as you're going through school and getting out in the field. Your time at SMC, you were there for five years? About. Looks like. What What did you do? I mean, what, Was that like an entry-level position, or did you come in? How did you come in there? <laughs> you were thrown into the project manager slash superintendent position in the last location. So I, so I started... SMC at the time was a, was, a, was a very, very small firm. What I mean by very, very small firm, it was an owner and his wife. And they basically hired me as a project manager, project accountant, estimator, uh, jack-of-all-trades kind of thing. And the company didn't even have a bond line at the time. So actually, I researched how to get a bond through the SBA, which was a small business administration, and we applied for a bond, and we ended up getting a bond line through the SBA, and we bid our first project, which was, I believe, a couple of bathrooms in a park for the city of, God, I can't remember the name of it, but it was, for, it was a public project. Right. $75,000 was our bid. We were low bidder by $1,000, from what I remember, and we made eight grand on that job for your return and that was and that's how the whole thing started we gradually got better at it we we bid more work increased our bond line and our bond limit and uh, when i left the company smc was doing four or five million dollar single projects and i think they had a total of like something around low 20s was what they were doing a year i left the company on really good terms the gentleman who who owned the company was a guy named al jagini phenomenal man probably one of like a like an older brother I, I the only reason why I left was because I wanted to go and build bigger stuff great guy but I learned a lot because again I had all those hats I mean I was I was the project engineer the project manager the project accountant and the estimator so I mean I was actually running work we had superintendents but I was actually you know estimating work and then running and, and then managing them at the same time and we were running three three to six projects simultaneously so you can just imagine so sometime in that five years you got ambitious i did i looked at my projects and i would drive by other projects and i would see these things that are much bigger than what i was doing and i was aspiring to to go and build those 
Well, so if that, you know, that's a really interesting point, and that's something we should probably talk about because you see that. There's a lot of kids that I've seen. You know, I've, I'm part of these forums and stuff online, and I've seen that question asked before where it's like, I graduated, and I hate what I'm doing. Did I make a terrible decision? And what should I do next? And it sounds like, and you'll have to kind of comment on this, but you know, you just kind of kind of tough it out and find what it is that you do like to do. So, what would you give as advice to those people that have now they've got this degree? Maybe they're in a job that is terrible. You know, what would be your advice to them? I think you just you you have to give life a chance and be open, try things. You know, you it, you you can try things over and over again. Some some may be successful, some may not be successful, but the more and more you experience things out there, options out there, I guarantee you that that some way somehow you will end up finding to do what you what you like to do. Again, your college degree might not be the answer. It was you know for me, my civil engineering degree was not the answer. I I just kind of you know tripped and fell into construction, and ended up. It became my life, and I and it was something that I, I to this day I truly love doing. And once he got out of school, yeah. you you pretty much hated school. I it, did. Yeah, hate it, right? But you haven't said that any of those experiences after school were bad. Even Rio, you didn't say Rio Honda was a bad experience. It was like a great experience. No. Yeah. It was so you like you said you just sort of tripped into something. I did. I think if, when you're that young, everything in life is new, right? You yeah. just got out of, whether you got out of school or got out of high school, whatever it is, everything that's happening to you is pretty much new. I mean, you're coming out of the cocoon of high school, and, you know, the, the world is a much bigger place than, than what was going on your senior year, and y there is a lot to experience. And I think there, there is no bad experience. There's, there's things that you're going to end up, like, disliking, and there's things that you're going to end up liking, but when you when you look back, you know, 20, 25 years and you think back to those days, even the stuff that w that you didn't like, you kind of think of them with fond memories. You're like, God, I really hated that. You know, would you laugh about it? You know, but you're like, oh, man, that really sucked. But it was great. You hated it at the time. At the time. Yeah. Okay. But now you just laugh back and you, and you and knowing how the world is today, what you what you thought was a big deal back then ends up being a, a small fish. So you were with SMC for five years, five-ish years, you said. You left to the next company because you wanted to build bigger things. Where did you go from there? I ended up working for a company called L.E. Wentz. Okay. I don't think they're in business anymore. And what did, what did they do? They built office buildings and tilt-up distribution type of um, centers. centers. So giant buildings. Giant buildings compared to what I was doing. Right. You know, I, I ended up building a couple of office buildings that were mid-rises, you know, four to six stories of steel. One of them had a parking garage. I got exposed to, to building garages, which I still do today. Office, which was core and shell type stuff, which I still do today. And warehouses and distribution facilities that were, that were tilt-ups. I don't do as much tilt-ups as, as we were doing back then, but that's, that's, that was their bread and butter at the time. And they did some TI work. I, I, did, I finished a, a five-story building in Newport Beach, and we ended up doing the fit-out for a TI client on that building. <laughs> they were a construction defect attorneys. And we, built, <laughs> <laughs> and we did their TIs. That was a ton of fun. I can imagine. Oh, my God. I guess, so one of the questions then there is, you know, you jumped into your first position not knowing anything. 
and you had a guy that mentored you, helped you learn a lot of things. You went to another company that was very small and actually grew with the company. I mean, is that where you learned a lot of, you know, at the, at the time on your first company, you said you didn't even know what an RFI was. By the time you left your first company, did you have a good grasp on construction management or were you still pretty green? No, SMC, my experience at SMC was, was phenomenal because I had so many hats. So just by being exposed to the responsibilities that I had to basically running work, my experience on not only just writing RFIs or, or submittals or shop drawings, but it had to do with how to forecast, financially forecast the profit of the project, how to manage on-site labor, how to minimize risk, understanding the different types of insurances that are involved in projects, whether it's you know, general liability or builder's risk or all the other insurances that go along with it. I had to do all of this. There was no other person at SMC at the time that was basically managing all this except the, the owner, which was Al. You know, it was just the two of us. Yeah. And, then we, so, and we were doing nothing but public works. So we're dealing with prevailing wage, all, all of these, all the facets of dealing with, with a public entity as far as when you're contracting with them, on top of managing a public contract. So understanding the notification periods that have to be for, uh, it, there's a lot, you know, the, yeah. all that. Yeah, so, there's a lot of just. It's, I could go on and on and on, and we could be here till like four in the morning talking about it, but, but all of those things, you know, they, they were all done as on-the-job training. You learned it on the I learned it on the job. I, I mean, you know, I, we didn't, I did not have a teacher right. to teach me all this. I had to figure it all out myself. I mean, Al was helpful, but it, but it was really just both of us trying to figure this thing out because he didn't really know it as much. We had to learn it together. So by the time I got to Wentz, Wentz only did negotiated private work. So all of a sudden, I had all this public work experience, but now I had to deal with developers yeah. and, and private entities and what was important to them, which is more of a client management. When you're in public works, client management it takes a back seat to everything. Right. It's more of, you know, plans and specs, pay me. I don't care how you feel about me, just right. pay me because there's no way you're going to bar me from bidding another job that's how public works at the time worked. Now you're now you're with a private construction company dealing with private clients and repeat business is huge. So it's client experience was 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 something that I had that I had now this is more on the job training that's happened with when I was at Wentz. So I was hired as a project manager, but again, you, you I, I had to start with a with a blank slate. And the guy who hired me, their VP in Southern California was probably the meanest person that I've ever worked for. I mean, I think the first eight months that I worked there, I thought my name was stupid because that's just the kind of way he talked He talked to you. You know, he just kind of like, he was, he was very, very Abrasive. harsh. Yeah. He was a harsh person. And you weren't even doing anything really wrong, but he, he had such an ego and he didn't teach you anything. He expected you to know everything. And he was just downright mean. <laughs> Sounds like my education. <laughs> Wilson and Hampton, right? The one thing you never told my father was, I don't know. If you said, I don't know, that was, that was you were in deep, deep trouble, right? And yeah. he would, I ran a, I ran a division in Denver. And so I got out of college. You know, I had a business degree. I 
did some craft stuff around here and sort of renovated our operation in our shop. And he goes, well, I got this thing in Denver. I'd like you to go up there. And I was there a year, and he came up, and he said, so what do you think? I said, well, it doesn't take two people to run this place because he had a partner there. I said, I'm not saying I'm the guy, but I'm just going to tell you that there's not enough for two. And so the partner was gone in a matter of days, and I was there by myself. And he would call, and he would ask me about something. Well, he's looking at the, he's looking at the income statement. I haven't seen it, and he's quizzing me on it. I'm like, well, so I just started keeping my own books. So when I, when I got a call, he'd say, well, what happened over here? I, oh, that job, boom, 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 boom. You just, and you learn how to do things. But, you know, he didn't, he didn't really teach. It was just like his teaching was, you need to know this, right? Not that he never forewarned you, but you found out that this is something you need to know. Oh, I'm not going to say anything about the current status. status <laughs> but Cliff will teach you. I will say he may he may appear ornery, but he will teach you well, if you ask him. Sort of like when I question our newest estimator, right? I just ask questions. Yeah. And then you're like, well, I guess I should have known these answers before that happened. But but the point there is, you're going to learn a lot of stuff in the field. You are, and the thing is, well. Our industry is so different today yeah. than it was back then. People like like the guy that I work with at WEMS don't exist anymore. Yeah. To that, to, it, it, I mean, they just they can't exist because the industry won't allow them to be that way. There, there is a lot more respect for the people that are coming up as as are st starting their careers. We have mentorship programs. I mean, all the company, not only McCarthy, but all the GCs out there, they understand the value of the next generation that's coming through. And they understand that, you know, you need to bring them up and you need to teach them and you need to be patient. And you, you they understand that, you know, when, you, when you're coming up, there's a lot of things that you don't, you don't know. And that calling you stupid just because you don't know it, it's just not the way of doing things. When I was at Wentz, I had never done a profit projection. I didn't even know what it was. You know, he had, he had hired me. The day that I got hired, I got two projects. I got a warehouse in Chino, and I got this office building in Newport Beach. Well, 30 days from the day that I hired, Wentz did their profit projections monthly. Most companies do them quarterly, but he, they did it monthly. So at the end of the month, nobody's told me that I have profit projections due for these two projects. I have no idea. So he comes into my office and he's like, it's time to sit down and go through the projections for your two jobs. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he berated me and yelled at me for not having the prop projections ready. And then the two other project managers that were there took me aside and said, this is what you need to do and this is how it needs to be done. Don't tell him that we showed you how to do it because then he'll get mad at us. Just cuss us out. Oh, because that's, that's really a bad guy. Trying to help oh, the no. company move. <laughs> you know? well, you no, know, because his his attitude was that I've given you the privilege of working for me. Now you got to figure out all the stuff that I want, but I'm not going to tell you. So, God, he was a real ass. But I, but you know what? I learned. Um, I the two project managers at Wentz that helped me are my best friends today and you know we we've known each other for like 20 years i just spoke with one of them this morning so 
there's there's a lot of relationships we've we've through the years we've learned a lot from each other and we still we still bounce things off of each other and we still learn so you know he's gone i hope i never see him again but thank god for him or i wouldn't have my two buddies that i have today there you go there's a silver lining maybe in everything huh? there is all hey when it comes to construction there's always a silver lining <laughs> so from from whence where did you go i went to mccarthy and where did you start at at mccarthy i started as a project manager so you've been project manager project manager project manager project manager yes most most people start off as an engineer i did not have the uh the pleasure of being a project engineer ever and i so miss it i'd like to have started that way no i've 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 always been they've always given me a lot of responsibility and i just had to figure it out on the job training kind of thing and same thing happened at mccarthy i mean mccarthy back then is not the mccarthy today i mean i got i got hired and my boss took me around the office and basically said this is the office this is some people in the office i never ended up even remembering their names i just kind of like it was so fast that we went around the office and then he put me in a room and forgot about me for three weeks and just had me do constructability reviews and i'd never even done a constructability review before didn't even know what i was looking for but i mean i i finished doing the constructability reviews and i i, I knew how to read drawings so i kind of just figured out what i needed to get figure out and just kind of again on the job training didn't get any mentorship but I, I i kind of figured my way through it and then i got my first job assignment i was a construction manager for laguna beach unified school district oh right into the right out of the frying pan and into the fire go to work for a school well district. you had all that public work experience that's true i did that did help that's that true. did help just to point that out and i hope these college kids and everybody understands this is how beautiful this tract is now that most of these companies have where you start in a position and work your way up to that point. You're not having to learn it all on your own. They, no. They help you no. in your progression to there, get there. Our training program that we have set up at McCarthy is phenomenal. You have a myriad of, of classes that you can take online. You have the ability to work with and ask questions and go to other different projects. You have the ability to work in different facets, whether if you want to work in pre-construction or you want to be in operations or scheduling or, or there's just there's so many different options. And the company is so open to try to help you out with what your career path is. These are all things that are that are new. These these are all things that, that have been happening in the last 15 to, to 20 years. Companies have figured out the importance of training, the importance of of understanding how valuable the people are and how and and they want to invest in that so it's completely different than than how i came up but god imagine where i'd be today if if i had some training <laughs> what do you think has been the motivation for that is it because construction companies keep getting bigger projects get bigger you know because as we were talking earlier the construction industry used to be populated solely by people who had come up through the craft, they were smart, they were assertive, they started a business, the business got to a certain level. I mean, there were not very many, there was Bechtel and Fleur and Parsons, but there were not a lot of giant construction firms. Construction firms, I think there are a lot more large construction firms today than there were 20 years ago. 
And so is that's what's motivated? It's like, well, we have this big organization, and in order to keep this organization going, we've got to nurture our own employees. I think what most industries, including ours, have figured out is the longevity of the business is completely and wholeheartedly dependent on its people. And it's not only the people that are in it now, but it's the people that are going to backfill the people that are in it. It is a fiduciary responsibility of the people that are in it now to train their replacements. And if you don't do that, then whatever company you're, whatever business you have, it will die. So you look at some of the companies that were, that have not made it, like Peck Jones. These companies, their leadership aged out. But the leadership didn't... They left the void. They left the void. And they left the void, and then inexperienced people ended up filling those voids. And it was people that were usually related to them, like their, like their sons and so on. <laughs> they, they were and a low role on the monarchy, guys. N- yeah. no, no present company excluded. <laughs> right. But, you know, but they, were, they didn't have the experience that their fathers did. They didn't have the relationship that their fathers did. Because remember, back then, it was a lot about relationships, right? And the people that were sitting there in the leadership positions of these larger companies made these relationships, and they were larger-than-life, A-personality types, right? And But they got old, and they then, you know, instead of going to the next qualified person in their firm, they gave it to their kids. And, and nine out of ten times, the kids ran it into the ground. But... Today, you look at some of the companies that have kind of gone past that, like the McCarthy's, like the Swinnertons, like all, all of these companies have figured out that their, that their most important asset is their people, the people that they have now and the people that are joining them and coming up the ranks. And that training them and the investment that you put into them, not just to train them to be good at what they do, but also provide them with work-life balances, give them the opportunity to go take their career path the way they want to do it instead of being forced to do something. Basically, you're, you're nurturing. It's a lot more nurturing than, than, than it was in the past. And I think that's, that's what's making companies like McCarthy, like the other ones that are out, that, that are comparable to us, are becoming are continuing to be successful. Is McCarthy employee owned? Yes, it is. So there's a difference. There's a huge organizational differences that those basically you had corporations, but they were, you know, privately held and tightly, you know, just a s- small number of shareholders, partners, whatever. But now you have these employee owned corporations, and it's like almost being public. In other words. You have to think about the the succession of the company because if you're running a company that's employee owned, you can't just say, "Well, when I die, it's over," because there's too many people invested in keeping it going. There's a ton of things that can be said about employee owned companies, but if you look at the longevity of companies in general, uh, the the ones that are the ones that are great, I think they've figured out a few things. Right? They figured out, you know. What's what's sustaining their their greatness, their clients, and how they t- how they treat their clients, and and they continue to treat their clients, and they t- continue to grow with whatever industry they're in, and also 
the, the, the value of their people, how they train their people, how they keep their people. I mean, these, I think employee owned is, is, is what I would call the icing on the cake right. kind of, but if you, you can have an employee owned company that's that, that doesn't under, that doesn't fully understand the values that we're talking about right now right. and they will not succeed, but you can have an employee owned company that understands and, and invest in those values and they will succeed. But you can also have companies that are not employee owned that that invest in those values and they will succeed. Right. I just think, you know, I would prefer to work for an employee owned company because I would like to have skin in the game. I would like to be part of the success and I would like to reap the rewards of right. that success. So to me personally I just I mean, I I think McCarthy being an ESOP is an icing on the cake on I'm part of a great company who understands all the values we've been talking about right now we have a great ESOP and it and it's and you know that's the icing you know that's the, the that's the extra Just added benefit that's yeah. the as the added benefit you've got a vested interest that this company does well everybody does it's amazing well that's one thing about ESOPs and uh, is that you know anybody who has it doesn't matter what position you are you just kind of think differently because whatever you know, every position in that company is, is, is instrumental to the success of that company. So whatever you're doing, doesn't matter what it is, if you're doing it well, I guarantee you that it's part of the success of, of where that company's going. And what the ESOP does is it's the great equalizer. So everybody gets their share based on what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and everybody gets part of the reward. Part of the reward. Absolutely. Uh, a couple of the points that you had touched on that I thought was pretty interesting. Number one is bringing people up to speed. You know, this training program. You said this is, they're trying to bring people up to speed, A, so that they can be useful. You know, they can perform their job as best as they can and the company can grow, which that's a that's a great position and a great place to be in. Because if you're not growing, it's almost, you, you're almost not stagnant anymore with the way things are. Like if you're not growing, you're actually probably shrinking. And so that's, that's an interesting point is that, you know, the reason that they have these training programs is, is to to get you as a student or you know as an entry level position to where you can be the most effective as quickly as possible can you give us a rundown of you know someone that's coming out of school that looks at mccarthy what's the career progression i mean do you start off as a product engineer or is there like a, a designed progression or how does it work no what I, I what i love about mccarthy is the opportunity that the company gives to their entry level position you know, you could start as a project engineer, and you could end up, you could end up taking a, the the field path and becoming a project superintendent. You can start as a project engineer and end up becoming a director in in pre construction. Uh, you could start as a project engineer and end up being a design manager. So, you might start as a project engineer as well as I've been saying, and there, but there's so many different career paths. And what the company does is basically gives you the opportunity. At first, we, we hire based on what the company needs at the time. So if we need a project engineer that needs to go to a, to a spe specific project, that's what we're hiring for. And the project engineer's initial assignment might be this particular project. But while they're on that project, they are going to now be exposed to all facets of the job, parts of the company, and they might start developing a liking for something what our company does is we 
promote discussing what those likings are and then trying to come up with a plan to move that individual's career in that direction. So there is, there's always a starting point and it may be a project engineer or it may be an assistant superintendent or it may be a laborer or a carpenter. You could be starting as a tradesman. Now we have plenty of tradesmen that started off as laborers or carpenters and ended up being project managers. It does happen. You might have to get a college degree as you're going through it, but the, the, which, you, you know, which they have done at night. But at the end of the day, you can get there. There's a starting point. We try to expose the individual to, to different um, aspects of our business and find out what it is that they like and then mold their career in that direction. Well, it's interesting that it's a little different than some of some of these bigger companies. You know, they have like a, a clear path from field engineer to office engineer to project engineer to assistant superintendent to, you know, they, they kind of have a clear path. And then from there you decide. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like McCarthy. Well, they have a they have a structured program, progression, a progression that you're going to do this and you're going to do this. You're going to do this. And McCarthy almost sounds like, look, we're just going to help you fulfill your desires. To a certain extent, yes, that's what we're looking for. That's pretty long, cool. As long as you're good at it. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. yeah. Um, you, you, I would say that, yes, I think, I think it's we – don't, we don't have a specific structure like you need to spend, you know, X amount of time here. As this position. And then this and this, this and this. And, and, you know, for me, I think it's, it's a waste of time because let's say, for example, that individual's passion is estimating. Well, if he's an assistant superintendent and a project man, project engineer, and a scheduler for six years and doesn't become uh, an estimator to, to estimate. be an estimator, he just wasted six years of his life doing something he doesn't like to do. Well, you know, I think our our way of looking at it is is much more simplified. It's like, okay, we're going to start you off as something, get you exposed to the company and what the company does and different aspects of it. You tell us what you like and what you and, and show us what you're good at and that there's a talent there and we will definitely develop that talent and we'll invest in it and, and, and try to make you as, as, as successful as you can be. But you know it, it's a two-way street. So we as a company will give you that opportunity, but it is always the individual's responsibility to give just as much mm-hmm. as the company or even more. Because at the end of the day, the person who's getting benefited the most out of this is the individual. You started as a project manager with McCarthy. Yes. You were there for a few few years, it looks like, about four. Where did you go from project manager? Senior project manager. Senior project manager. And what does that entail? You just over bigger projects? Bigger projects. Just bigger projects is, is what it was. More responsibility. I was also doing projects that were a little bit more remote to the division. They shipped me off to Santa Barbara. Okay. So I was I did a couple of couple of projects up there as a as a PM in McCarthy and as a senior PM in McCarthy is it more office oriented or is it more field oriented or whatever you want it to be I mean how would you describe that Some guys say oh PM it's almost solely the office and like W O'Neill the guy we had in he said oh no I try to be a very field oriented PM because he likes to walk around the field and put things together I don't know how my staff. Well, my ex-staffs <laughs> felt about it. I know my superintendents, God bless them all, were, were probably uh, very patient with me. I am a busybody. So especially as a PM, I like to be involved in just about everything. 
I take I take the the project manager position pretty seriously because I you know it at the end of the day it starts and stops with the buck the stops with you yeah so you know I was I I, I was very hands on not in the minutia as my project engineers will probably tell you <laughs> but I was I'm I am very involved in in what's going on in the field I'm very involved in um, what's going on in the office pretty 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 much in the details when it came to the financials I tried to be as Hopefully that my engineers will say the same, but I, I, I try to be a mentor. And I think it comes down to, you know, how I really didn't have one. Right. Um, so I, I wanted to be different. Um, I wanted the experience of the people that worked with me on projects to be different. So I try to be um, a, as, as, as good a mentor as I can be. I'm not a great teacher, but I really, really tried. So I, I, I really like to be involved in everything. So I was out in the, I, I love being out in the field and tinkering with things and trying to figure out why things don't work. And if, a, if there's a problem, uh, you know, I jump head first to try to solve it with the, with the, with the team. Well, you said you try not to be involved in the minutia. And that reminded me, you know, one of the best ways I ever heard it put for my career was, you know, try not to micromanage the process, just micromanage the results. Right, it's like, hey, Agreed. I need this to be happen, and I'm not going to be involved in telling you how you have to do it, as long as you can meet these criteria. Boom, 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 boom. And if you can, I don't even care how you do it. You know, we'll figure it out. So, that being said, you went from senior project manager to now project director. <laughs> so, so project director at McCarthy, what does that entail? Oh my God, that's 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 quite a step from from managing work. It's, it's a whole different world. The responsibilities are different. Basically, that position is the liaison between the field and the executive. So you're kind of stuck in the middle, and the responsibilities kind of flare out. You're managing project managers who are on their own islands, and they have their responsibilities. And you're just, and for me, the project director is the liaison between the between the field and the office. So if there's if there's things that the field needs as far as support from the office, that's our pro that's our responsibility to get them that that support. We are basically doing the oversight on making sure that the client is happy, that the our trade partners are being dealt fairly, and that there is a voice. I'm I'm the sounding board. If there if there is a problem, but mo mostly our job is is to just kind of oversight it and, and provide the support to the to the guys in the field, the project managers and superintendents in the field, and then we're we're also involved in different types of pursuits. So there's there's projects that come that we're that we're assigned to, and then we are we take the lead on the pursuit. So we have a ton of responsibility as far as putting the proposals together, making sure that we have. If there's, you know, the general conditions, general requirements, all those costs are done, figuring out what the risks are on the job, mitigating those risks, managing a plan, managing a schedule, managing logistics, getting all that information put into a proposal, and then, and then making sure those proposals are submitted in a timely manner. And then if we have self-performed labor, we're, we're also kind of providing the oversight on, you know, McCarthy self-performs structural concrete. So we're providing the oversight on making sure that our our self-performed side of the business on our projects are also being performed in a profitable way and making sure that we're managing our labor, material, and equipment, and things like that. It's a quite a large step. 
when when you when you come out of the field and now now you're in that position there's a lot more responsibility and there's you know there's some there's some office politics now that you have that you weren't really involved with because when you're out in the field you just you know everything kind of stopped and started and stopped with you you were at the top of the pyramid right. in the field and now you come into the office and you're definitely not at the top of the pyramid anymore you're kind of in the middle and at, at times you feel like you, you could you could be the punching bag for both sides so you're talking about FaceTime with the owners yes you're talking about business development or finding work you know you're yeah. actually trying to procure jobs yes you're talking about being that support for the project manager so that they have everything they need to complete the job mm -hmm. but then you're also managing where McCarthy's acting as a sub to that project manager to make sure that that whole portion is being profitable you know so it, there's a lot to that and uh, that just one of those positions I mean it, it's it we like to offer so the kids can see kind of you know where it goes like this is a progression this is a progression now you've kind of stepped out of the field and you're taking on a bunch more. Oh, she kind of sounds like being a mom. <laughs> <laughs> the major project manager for over everything. From that's, but, that's, a, that's a good one. It is, isn't it? I like that one. Good example. Your wife will like it too. She will. <laughs> well, so let me ask you quickly, and we'll, we'll try to get through this so everybody can go home uh, before too long, but have you ever worked a nine-to-five day since you've been in construction? No. <laughs> so, no. Okay. But, you know, it comes in waves. Right. All right. I've had I've had projects where I've worked seven days a week, six to six, six to seven, six to nine. There have been days on, on jobs where I was a project manager that I got there at five in the morning and left at 10 at night. Yeah. But I've had days that I've gone in and I've only spent four hours. As a project director, I've had times where you know i've been in the office all day i had 50 60 hour weeks but there are times where i've had 35 hour weeks i think it just comes in waves our industry is not consistent in any sort of way you have times where the your career demands a lot from you but there are times where your career demands less from you you, you never know when that is so it's not like you can plan a vacation that's the hardest part is planning a vacation. I mean, I have a hard time with my wife. It's like, well, when do you want to do this? Well, what are you doing in November? Well, I don't know. She's like, well, what do you think? I'm like, well, I, I can tell you that it's a 50-50 chance that I can go with you guys, but I'm not really sure. But, I mean, you could have, you know, a job show up in November, a $250 million job that the proposal's due right in the middle of your vacation, right. and your boss is going to look at you and go, I don't think you can go. And that's that's just the kind of that's just the kind of the, the, you know that's the animal we live in, right? Right. But tons of fun. Couldn't ask for a better career or or business that we're in. You know, we we you got to give us credit. We do we 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 work hard, but we play harder. Well, and I would say, what I was trying to remember earlier that I couldn't remember is that that culture. You know, and it's interesting that culture is such a big part. You, until we started this podcast, I never even considered it. Like, but McCarthy has a culture, PCL has a culture, Hensel Phelps has a culture, and you find that culture that kind of jives with you, and that's where you were saying, you know, you bring these people on and they develop them, and this, these people are the most important part of the company, and it's that culture. You develop this culture, and that breeds a lot of loyalty. But the point being is, 
you know, if you're if you're in this mess with people that you really like, you know, you spend more time with people you work with probably than you do your family. If you're anything like most of the people in the industry, and if you enjoy their company, I mean, it you know, it's fun to get through some of these drastic headaches that get presented on the last minute, or that you have to work the long hours to get things done. I I work with my best friends. Yeah, I really do. Uh, I'm. I am definitely blessed. The company that I work for and the amazing um, guys and gals that, that I work with. And we are, it is, it, it, my wife calls it the frat house, but it's, it's really, a, you know, it's the company. But it's, it's, it's just a it's, a, it's a phenomenal place to work. I, I work with a bunch of really sharp, smart guys and gals. And uh, I'm, I'm blessed. It, it, and it's fun. I mean, we have we have a really good time. Even when the stress level is 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 DefCon five, it's it still turns out to be fun because you know these are the people that you want to have in your foxhole. Yeah. Well, and so the point I was trying to drive at here was with this not having a nine to five. Have you ever dealt with burnout? Yes. Any yes. advice to people that go through that? Look, there there's there's. There are good jobs, or there's good projects, and there's bad projects. Right. Uh, every career will have, hopefully, a lot more good than bad. But all careers are going to have at least one bad. And when it gets bad, it can get really bad. You know, I went, I went through a, a, a horrible project back in 2009, 10, and 11. Horrible, horrible project that took a lot of time. And it just, it just it was emotionally draining. Uh, you know, you just, you just put your head down and you kind of just barrel through it and with, with, the, with the understanding that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and it will end. It's going to get done. It'll get done. And then once it's done, hopefully, you know, it'll be in your rearview mirror and you move on. And the company, our, our culture that we've been talking about you know my boss kind of said you know you're done go go take some time you know detox and come back and and we'll and and we'll still be here and we'll there's there, we'll find something else for you to do this has happened to myself to some of my colleagues on some really really tough projects and and the you know our the good companies out there understand that they give you a break once it's done so that you can kind of, you know, get back to even, and um, and and then and then just go to the next one. And but but at the end of the day, it's 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 something that happens. I wish I wish I could say that there there it doesn't, but it does. You you'll you'll get through it, and um, and the next one will probably hopefully be better. Well, you know, Cliff's made the point multiple times in different discussions. He's like, typically in something like that, it's not even your fault. You're just the guy that's stuck having to deal with it. In a lot of those situations. Mo yeah, that's true. <laughs> Most of the time it isn't. Most of the time the, the, the people that are getting the burnout are the cleanup crew that's going through and and you know, it's 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 usually somebody else's mess. Again, this goes back to McCarthy's culture. You know, we are definitely the dog pile, right? So if there's a as soon as there's there's an issue or a problem or something you, you'll see people coming out of the woodwork that are going to dogpile this thing and, and try to help to get it to get it done. The job that I'm that I was mentioning earlier, you know, 
we all got together. We all kind of knew that this was a lump of coal and that we're going to we we just kind of faced the facts that it was a problem and just barreled our way and did the best we could and got through it. And there was a lot of sleepless nights. There was a lot of stress. But again, it was it was all your partners kind of getting together and, and, and working through it. One of the things we talked about at dinner that felt seemed like you were a little bit passionate about, and I'd like to give the opportunity to talk on it some. This podcast has been geared toward a lot of kids that are in school, that they're they're pursuing a construction management degree or a civil engineering degree or some degree so that they can pursue a, a career on the office side of construction. We've been focused on kids in college. We've been focused on kids in college. And one of the things we probably need to open up to is that there's other routes out there, such as the trades, that are needed. Crafts. Crafts. The Cliff is big, big point about Cliff is that it's a craft, not a trade. But that there's crafts out there that are needed. Concrete, electrician, plumber. And that's one of the things the industry's facing right now is these shortages of skilled craftsmen. And that's an opportunity a lot of people have to start a good career, get paid to work in that career, to be trained in that career, and they can have a really good life and there's a ton of work. So what would your take be on, you know, we talked a little bit at dinner about it, What's your take on maybe following a career like the crafts? McCarthy does self-perform some work. Yes. And and those people aren't necessarily hindered because they didn't get a college degree right off the bat. You know, they have the opportunity to move up in the company and they'll have the opportunity to pursue a degree if it's needed to advance. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that our CEO was a superintendent. He was a carpenter. And he is the CEO of a of a large construction company today. God bless him. He's an amazing man. So there is definitely opportunity for anybody who's coming up through the trades to to be successful, either either running work in the field or running a, a company as, as their chief executive officer. So there's definitely that. We are facing shortages on, I think, in every facet of trades in, in, this, in our area in Southern California. I think that I think it's nationwide. Our skilled craft workforce is aging, and we we need to they need they need to be replaced because they're retiring. They're getting old, and we we definitely don't want that art form to 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 die out with them. So it's a big responsibility, and we need to we need to basically let uh, the young, up and coming high school students know that there is another choice out there. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that college, I mean, I went to college, but I'm not saying that college is the end all for everyone. It definitely isn't. But there, is, but there are other choices out there for people uh, to, to consider. Craft work is one of them, especially with the different types of unions that are out there. They have paid, paid apprenticeship programs. Where basically, you can, you can join the union, and the union will train you in, in whatever whatever craft and art form that you want to be involved with. So for example, you know carpenters, good example. You can car- you can be a carpenter in the carpenters union and learn how to be a carpenter dealing with lumber. You can learn how to be a metal framer. You can learn how to hang drywall or, or mud and tape. These are all just in one union, right? They're all these are all carpenters, iron workers. You can be a Mizzy Metal ironworker. You can be a structural ironworker, which is part of a raising gang. You can be a welder. 
or you can you can be dealing with metal deck. You can shake metal deck and, and weld metal deck. Every craft that I just mentioned is a viable, great way to make a living. Yeah. You can you can make a, a very good living. You can I mean if you want to have a family, this is a great way to to take care of a family. Uh, the most, if not all, the unions have great benefits. They have great pensions. So not only are you working and getting and getting a good wage and, and able to raise a family or do whatever you want, but your future and your retirement is our, is you're already taking care of that too. I mean, you go into the union at the age of let's say 18, which is right out of high school. You can retire at 48. Yeah, that's 30 years in the union, which is basically you're maxing out your pension. And you've, you've, you, you can earn a great living up to that time. And this is just if you stayed in the union. Forget about the fact that you can now start quit the union. Business. You can actually you can start your own business after, you've, after the 30 years that you're in the trade. Or like do some, what, what our, some of our superintendents are doing now, which is spend 30 years in the trade. You know, at 48 years old, you, 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 turn, you turn yourself into a salaried employee. And now you have a second career as a superintendent with with your with your pension frozen after 30 years of service so it's a great opportunity for those of us who basically don't want or don't think college is either an option maybe it's a financial issue or maybe you just don't like to go to you don't want to go to school maybe you want to work outside (laughs) i mean that's the other thing there's there is a lot of people that there's a lot of students out there that are looking at college and going into the workforce is I don't want to be sitting in an office you know I I think that you know an iron worker who's who's part of a raising gang who's in who's putting up steel on a high-rise his office is hanging off of a deck of the side of a building 50 stories up in the air you know I personally would be scared and I wouldn't do it but you know it's a thrilling great way to to it's a thrill for some and it could be a thrill for some while you're making a great living doing it yeah well it, as a as the guy in the room that didn't go to college and had to come up through a trade uh, not a union trade by the way it's a viable career i mean it it requires work but you're going to have to put in hard work whether you go to college or not so. Well, you're not going to succeed in this world if you don't if you don't put the effort into it. Right. So it doesn't. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, you could if if you if you think you're going to go to college and not put the effort into college, you, when you get out of college, you're not going to go anywhere. Right. But with the trades, it's a little bit more serious, right? You there is an expectation when you're on the job site that the job site is going to give you a fair day's wage for a fair day's of work. So you put in your work. And you do what you're told, and and you and you put the effort into it. You're going to get a fair wage for the day. It's nothing. To, it's nothing to to look down on in no way. And I think we, as an industry, need to need to go out into the high schools. And I, I, there's a there's probably a lot of high school students out there that are, that are like they're thinking the way I did, which was I don't want to disappoint my parents by by not going to college. You know. Co- I'm telling you, college was not for me. I hated it. I, I, I did not like sitting in classes. I did not like taking tests. I don't think I was I was 
you know, stupid or anything. I just didn't really care for it. Um, and I think if I would have actually gone into the trades, I'd probably end up where I am today. Uh, but it would have, I would have avoided some of the dislikes that I had earlier. A college degree is not going to earn you a living. And at some point, you're going to have to go out and earn a living. I mean, some people can get away without having to ever earn a living because they've been provided with other means, but most of us have to earn a living. And there's a lot of ways to earn a living. And in a degree, that's not earning a living. Right. You get a degree, it can move you towards doing something where you earn, you're productive in some fashion. I, I have this perception that a lot of people think, oh, well, if you must not be very smart if you go into construction. There are a lot of really intelligent people in construction. Yes, I think you. I think just walk around, you know, your city, your wh wherever you live, and everything that's out there that that's never been built was all built by hand. No. Right? It's everything is handmade, and I guarantee you that you can't build anything that complex handmade if you just if you don't have the aptitude for it. So it, I think it t it takes a certain kind of mindset to get into our business but it doesn't have to necessarily mean that you have to take the college route I do have to preface that with you know if you want to start getting into a higher position in the business then you you might want to consider going to college later on which 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 can happen there is the, you, you you can earn a college uh, a degree while you're working as a tradesman it, it, a lot of tradesmen have done it, and it's a good thing. You have a lot of options to consider when you come out of school. When you come out of high school, you can be a tradesman for a while, earn a good living, and then maybe change your career path when you get a little bit older. And you're like, well, you know, I, I kind of did the trade thing, and it was good, and I, and I really enjoyed it, but I, but I want something more. And if you want something more, you, you just like we talked about earlier you have to work for it now you kind of go out and you can you can get a college degree and take that next step well and the points to make i guess would be you get started early you get paid to learn you know you can work while you're learning and you're not going to accrue a huge amount of college debt for something that maybe you're not going to enjoy once you're done with it absolutely and uh, you can and always you can party like an animal and you can party like an, <laughs> the trades are known that they can do that but the point is that... Well, that can happen in college. Too. That can <laughs> but, but you're not accruing the debt. But, you, but, you can actually pay for it. But you're right. It's actually cheaper to do it in a trade. <laughs> so just just as a thought for those you know kids in high school that are listening, for kids in college that are maybe a year or two in and they're really starting to question what it is, if they're in the right path, you know, there's so many different routes you can take. There's a lot of options. And hopefully that's one people will consider. And knowing that there's companies, giant companies like McCarthy... That hire people in the trades. And there's a real immediacy to working in the crafts where yeah. you see things getting put together and things being accomplished that, you know, when you're in school, you just, it's like nothing gets accomplished. Oh, I got a grade. Yeah. So, yeah. so, one, of the, so. one of the questions we love to ask as we're winding down is uh, typically we ask, you know, any technology you've seen that's blown your mind. But we had an interesting conversation at dinner about the overuse of technology and how uh, maybe necessarily understanding the basics of how things go together 
is just as beneficial. I think primarily one has to understand or have the basic understanding of how to build a, a building, a structure, or a project, which means that whatever technology is doing or calculating or in any sort of way, whatever it is, the, the individual needs to know what the system is doing because that's the only way that the individual can figure out if the system is doing it wrong because systems, you know, any computer programs, models, whatever, all these things, that's, that's, they're not the absolute right. Uh, there's, there's possibilities of incorrect inputs of data, whatever they may be, and you need to have an experienced eye to be able to figure out whether the system's doing right or wrong. So technology is great. Um, it's, 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 it's aided and it's moved our business forward in many ways with the building models and with, with accounting software and with all the, all these, all these, you know, blue beam, all these things that are out there. Um, again, they're all great and they're great tools, but you really need to understand what you're doing and learn the basics. Um, so that if the system is not doing it correctly, you as the human element can, can figure that out and make sure that you can correct it. Cause it'd be quite costly if you don't. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, as an example, my Excel spreadsheets are pretty good. But it's that one time that something miscalculates that I submitted as an RFC. <laughs> and then Cliff starts asking questions. Oh, well, why didn't you include this? Or how did you miss this? Yeah, I should have went back and looked at that and confirmed that things were done right. Well, we, you know, you look at, you look at estimators. That's a, that's a great point. You know, like, I mean, we still look at estimates and we'll still run a take on an estimate, even though it's done in Excel or it's done in in the estimating software or what, there's still always that checks and balances when, you, when you're doing a bid because, you know, it's one zero can be very, very expensive. <laughs> it's in the wrong spot. Exactly. Make or break it. Exactly. Um, it, did you have something to say? To ask him about recruiting. Yeah. Do you recruit? I don't. Um, the company does. We we go to a myriad of different universities. Uh, long we go to Long Beach. I think we're in Boise. We're in Michigan. We're, we go to different different career fairs throughout the country. We go to uh, a lot of student events locally here for mentorship programs and so on. So we're very involved with with that as as a division and a company. Well, let me ask you this then. As having been a project manager and had some of these young sure new hires and stuff come onto your team what are the qualities that those kids have that make the biggest difference for you i think it's you know what i really love is is the passion to learn it doesn't matter what you know in my book uh when you're when you start off at, as, at an entry level trust me we all know that you know you didn't you didn't come pretty much pre-groomed and 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 with a bunch of experience and you know exactly what's going on I think it's it's um, understanding that there's never a stupid question, ever. There's that we are looking for you know the passion of learning and and just basically you kind of enjoy what you're doing. I think I think that to me those are those are the those are that's what I look for. I mean if you're if you come on the job and and you're you're full of excitement and you just want to learn more and you just want to do more and there's and there's never enough for you to do and that there's always and you're always asking questions about everything trust me there's no there's no such thing as being a nuisance i think that's how you groom your people 
you groom your people by giving them the ability and the freedom to be able to to learn and 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 being a tool to 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 do that well i would say you hire for the skills you can't teach right like drive and motivation and the want the willingness to learn because you can teach them all the other stuff if you have to but that's something that you can't teach them to be motivated right so um that being said is there any advice you'd give to college kids out there that are looking to start a career or high school kids that are thinking about construction you know i i am I'm, I'm blessed because uh you know i i, I fell into a, a career that i love i i really because your mom got you a job yeah god bless <laughs> god bless your mom thank you i just i just i'm really blessed and i think it's a phenomenal industry there is I can't think of another career that, that that could be as fulfilling to me as as construction has been. You end up, I think it's a great group of guys and gals that 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 kind of get into this. It's just really a lot of fun, and I I hope that whether it's whether it's a choice to get in through the trades or or what or even for those of us who take the college route, it's a it's a great career. I think it's fulfilling not just financially, but I think I think it's I think it's it really feeds your soul if you love it so if if and when you get you get your first job be passionate about it learn as much as you can and trust me you can go through your entire career and there's no way that you're going to know as much as you think you're going to learn and there's 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 always something out there that that's going to that's going to baffle you i don't care how old you are and how long you've been in the business because the business is always changing that's the other thing that's the other thing about construction there, there's not one day that's the same as the day before. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, and seize those opportunities. W- when you come across a problem that needs to be solved, seize those opportunities mm-hmm. to learn something new. Absolutely. You know, it's like, how many hours did I spend looking at galvanized? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> now he's the galvanized guy. So, yeah, uh, just remember, you know, some people work in an office. Other people build the office. So, you can find your place uh, among the rest of us, I guess would be the way to say it. Well, Andrew, we really appreciate having you on. Uh, appreciate you come and talk to us, and especially, you know, give out a bunch of good advice. Uh, other people that want to catch up with you, they can find you on LinkedIn. You're with McCarthy here in Orange County. Anything you'd say about McCarthy? Sounds like it's a great company to work for. Kids that are interested in learning about it uh, can approach any of the recruiters that they find at their school. Our website at McCarthy.com. We, you, you can you can get a hold of us through through our website uh, if you have any interest again my, my information is on LinkedIn I, I welcome any any questions or anybody who wants to contact me and, and, and talk about either McCarthy or their career in construction I'd be happy to help well awesome well thanks for your time we appreciate having you on we appreciate the advice you gave it sounds like even though you had to learn on the job it didn't hurt your career no you know you've, you've done it and, and made advancements the only other thing I was going to talk about in closing is um, there's a program that we came across, and this is for the listeners out there. There's a Construction Intern Awards, and it's put on by a company called HCSS, and they do, uh, of course, this year is about over now that, of course, I found out about this, but starting in June of next year, and I'd set a reminder in your calendar now, if you are an intern at a construction company, they have both a year-long prize. You could win $10,000 if you're selected as the winner. Or they do have weekly prizes where they give out $2,000 scholarships for kids in college. So feel free to look that up. The website's cia.hcss.com. 
and it's a great way to uh, learn a little bit about construction. And, and if you're an intern, hopefully help you get a little bit of your schooling paid for. So thanks, everyone, for, for listening to the Construction Career Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time.